the thing that sparked this whole, like, I have to get serious about finding my birth family was when my son was born. He was born in, sorry, I'm going to get emotional when I talk about him. He was born in March of 2008. When I held him for the first time, I looked at my wife and I said, this is the, I said, do you realize that this is the first time in my life that I am looking someone face to face that I share blood with? Welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. I'm Jennifer Diane Gustin, your host. Storytelling is just one of the best ways for adoptees to convey what has happened in their life from their perspective, and a great way to open up to the adoption community. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our family of origin. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation, validation even, that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and or managing past traumatic events. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My guest today was born in Asheville, North Carolina in August of 1970. He was adopted by an American father and a Japanese mother. His name is Patrick House, And I was delighted that he reached out to me to share his relinquishment, adoption, search, and reunion journey. During this episode, Patrick opens up about how the loss of his adopted dad when he was four years old enhanced his abandonment issues and living with an adopted mom who spoke broken English while he didn't speak Japanese, was a challenge to their relationship. Patrick approached the search for his biological mother after the birth of his son and was in reunion at the age of 45. He gives us a play-by-play of how that reunion unfolded and what it looks like today. Allow me to introduce you to someone who embraces professional therapy, has a deep faith in God that sustains him, and married to one of the most supportive partners in the world. He believes that for him, the emotional labor of taking center stage on a podcast has the potential to help another adoptee along their journey, and therefore, more than worth his time. Hello, Patrick. Welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. How are you doing in Pennsylvania? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, wonderful to join you, and and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah, it's an honor for me to have you. I know a little bit about you. I know you're a Navy vet, 26 Mm -hmm. years. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, and at one time you were stationed in Chicago, my hometown. That is correct. That is actually, uh, I was stationed there from 1997 to 2001. Uh, it's actually where I met my current wife. That's a very, very special place for me. And we still have family on her side that live there. And we try to get back there at least once a year, maybe sometimes more. 
And you tell me how supportive she has been as your partner. And oh, uh, yeah. I, yeah, it was really dear to hear that. So we, we love when our partners are supportive, especially as adoptees. Yes, I could not have done any of this without having her right by my side and giving me encouragement, you know, all of those things that she's done and guidance and suggestions and just listening. But I mean, really, most importantly, just listening. She was always there. And she still is. Nothing better than a great listener. So shout out to your wife. Yes. (laughs) And I know you were born in North Carolina. Correct. At the time, it was a very small town. Now it's not uh, Asheville, North Carolina. So it's in the western part of North Carolina in the mountains. So I was born there. I was adopted at six weeks old. My birth mom had me in a home for unwed mothers. This was 1970. So back during the quote-unquote baby scoop era, going on at that time and she had me there at this home for unwed mothers and what I found out later on was that she didn't even know whether she had a boy or a girl they never told her Uh, they didn't tell her what she had they you know she was there she was working doing whatever jobs they had them doing and then when she was ready to deliver me she had me and then after that they took care of her. They took me away because the arrangements were already made for me to be placed for adoption. So she never saw me. She never got the chance to even know whether she had a boy or a girl. So very, very heartbreaking for her. But so yeah, I was adopted at six weeks old. My adopted father was American and my adopted mother was Japanese. Grew up in a very unique situation, I guess you could say with uh, having a mother who was Japanese, who spoke broken English. She was an American citizen. Uh, She had become an American citizen, but she still spoke broken English. So, and I don't speak any Japanese. She tried to teach me Japanese when I was really, really young, but my adopted father, he was very much against me learning Japanese, mostly because He said that I was going to go into an American school. They were going to speak English. So I needed to learn. I needed to make sure I knew English. Did you ever Um, want to learn Japanese? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I always felt that created a barrier between my adopted mother and I, because she would often talk to her friends in Japanese. You know, she had Japanese friends and she would speak to them, whether it was on the phone or when she would be with them, she would talk in Japanese. And of course, I didn't understand it. That led me to always feel like there was a somewhat of a distance between her and I. Right, um, sure. So, yeah, so that, that was kind of tough growing up. Both of my adopted parents were older uh, when they adopted me. My adopted father was 47 and my adopted mother was 42. So my adopted father was born in 1922, and my adopted mother was born in 1928. They had met over in Japan. He was in World War II. After that, they had met, I want to say that it was like in the early, late 50s, early 60s is when they met when he was still stationed over in Japan. 
he retired from the Air Force and then came back to Japan to marry my adopted mom. He was from Asheville, born and raised in Asheville. So they moved back to Asheville. Unfortunately, he passed away when I was four. It was about three weeks after my fourth birthday. Uh, he passed away. So I never really got to know him. I wish that I did because from all accounts, from everything that everyone has told me, friends, and, and just what my adopted mother told me, he was a really, really interesting guy and a really good gentleman and, you know, Southern gentleman, that kind of thing. And so it was really tough as I was growing up, especially in my teenage years. I wanted my father and yeah. he wasn't there. And that's so and young. I'm sorry. He had liver cancer. Back then, you know, this was before chemo and all the things that they have now, of course. And so I think he lived about, probably about a year after the diagnosis. He, he passed away about three weeks after my fourth birthday. As I've said to many other people before about him, the, the one memory I do have of him, sadly, is the night of his funeral. That sticks with me even today. Uh, I can have vivid memories of that evening, of that night that we were at his funeral. And that really started for me was like one of the, as I got older and I started to realize these things about adoption was that was, you know, after my birth mom giving me up for adoption, now here's another person that obviously he passed away and he got sick and he passed away, but here's another person that's, that's leaving me. I grew up with this feeling of who's the next person that's going to walk out of my life and, and leave me. That was a very, very emotional thing to keep going through. And it's something that I've struggled with. Uh, even into adulthood, I struggled with it. Yeah. And the so, idea of loss. It's yeah. Profound. Yeah, loss. It's, yeah. Yes, it was tough. And so you combine that with being adopted and here's, you know, I'm with this, my adopted mother who, took great care of me. I, I've never spoken ill about that. She always worked hard to try to take care of me. So I first found out that I was adopted right around probably six, maybe six and a half. You know, there was no hiding that I wasn't Japanese, that I didn't look like her. <laughs> I don't look Japanese. Had I looked even remotely Japanese, she probably would have passed me off as her own child mm. um, be, because she was very controlling, you know, just was very, very protective some, and to a certain degree overprotective of me. And whether that was because of her life experience before losing my adopted father, I, I'm not really sure. I never really talked to her about that again. There was a lot of barriers between her and I uh, that we didn't talk about, things that we just didn't discuss. When I found out that I was adopted at that age, my first question was, well, where's my mother? What's going on? How do I find her? And my adopted mom, you know, when I would ask her about the where's my birth mother or what happened to her, she would always say, your birth mother was young when she had you. Uh, she couldn't afford to take care of you she really didn't want you mm. and so hearing that you can imagine what that does to a six seven year old boy or child rather to hear that this 
woman who gave birth to you didn't really want you in the first place. Of course, that's, yeah, that's hard to, to hear. You know, eventually that was one of the things I found out, and I'll get to that, that I found out that it was not true. And so that was hurtful. You know, growing up, as, as I got older, kind of came and went with this feeling of wanting to find my birth mom or looking for my birth mom. When I was, you know, maybe nine or 10, I would be in the grocery store and I would look at other moms and I would look and see and try and compare their facial features or their hair or their eyes to me and kind of look and go, well, maybe I look like her. Maybe that's my mom or is that my mom or this one? You know, still those questions were there. You know, as I got older, like I said, it kind of came and went and I never really thought about it until I got older into my, I think it was into my thirties. So my, my adopted mom passed away in 2004. That was devastating to me because yet again, there was another person that I had known and here's, you know, another person that is out of my life now. And what do I do? And I'm lost and all those things, but I never searched for my birth family while my adopted mom was alive because quite honestly if she knew that i was doing that that i wanted to search or that i was looking number one she wouldn't have understood that and number two she would have been very upset and number three it would have devastated her i am sorry that your mother passed in 2004 you said yeah um, and i know yeah that's even more loss and so very hard. I want to ask you, because when you mentioned the grocery store, something came mm-hmm. up for me about mm-hmm. when you're out in public and mm-hmm. and your mom is Japanese, looks Japanese right. and looks right. Asian, and you don't. Did you ever have people asking you about that? As I got older, yes. I mean, grade school, yes. I, I actually did when I was in grade school, I did get picked on quite a bit when they found out that I had a Japanese mother because I have a Japanese middle name. When they find that out or they find out that my, my mother was Japanese, you know, they'd walk up and do the, the whole slant eyes, you know, they'd slant their eyes at me. And it was like, I don't look at all Japanese. Why are you doing this? Kids can be very, very insensitive, Mm -hmm. especially at the, as you get into the, you know, middle school, junior high school years, they can be quite cruel. Even today, when I fill out an application or they see my full name, people will go, well, wow, that's an interesting middle name. And I'll say, well, yeah, my my adopted mom was Japanese. Or, or you know, I'll sometimes I would have said my mother was Japanese. And yeah. they would say, well, well, you don't look Japanese. Oh, well, I was adopted. Right. Oh. See, that's very interesting, <laughs> right? Because interracial, transracial adoptees, and I'm thinking of Asians adopted by white parents, mm-hmm. describe not being able to go anywhere without people knowing that they were adopted. Obviously, right. they must be adopted because they don't yep. look like their parents. And so you mm-hmm. you had that similar experience in reverse. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to say the exact same thing. It's, <laughs> it's that I've spoken to a lot of Asian adoptees who, as you said, their, their parents were Caucasian. 
we have similar experiences, but as you say, it's in reverse. Right. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> um, I've ever heard that in, in a yeah, and, story before. Yes. And again, I love North Carolina. I love Asheville. It's my home. But you can imagine in the early 70s in a very Bible Belt Southern area, the kind of questions and looks and all kinds of other things that would have been said or asked or whatever have you. That was hard. That was a challenge growing up. And even for my adopted mom, I can imagine it was a challenge for her, too as many um, issues that I have with her, the one thing I always say about my adopted mother is that she was very, very strong, very strong spiritually, very strong uh, emotionally. She was tough. She had to be. She comes to the United States after 10 years. She came to the United States in 1964 and her husband passes away in 1974 and she's left with a four-year-old son that she's got to raise. She didn't want to go back to Japan, although she could have. She didn't want to. So she stays in America, struggles and works her way through and all these things. And so I, as much as many criticisms as I have of you know things with her, I always say, you know, look, she was very, very, very strong and very tough. And like I said, she kind of had to be. As I said, you know, I never looked for my birth parents until after she passed away. And then after she passed away, I, I reached out to the state of North Carolina to try and get my original birth certificate from them. Because I felt, well, maybe that original birth certificate will have some clues, my birth mother's name, something that will get me started in the right direction. I called the state of North Carolina and they told me, they were like, well, you can get your birth certificate. You know, do you have it? This, I said, well, I need my original because I'm adopted. And they were like, well, you can't get it. <laughs> and I said, what? Right. And they were like, well. Um, You're like, why uh, not? They, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and their answer to me was, well, the state law in North Carolina, all those adoption records, all those things are sealed once the adoption is final. And I'm like, well, how can I get it unsealed? You can't, not without a court order. So you didn't and, know you were adopted under a closed system. Yep, that is correct. You know, I kind of had hints that that was likely the case, but I didn't know for sure. And they said, well, the only thing that we can send you is what we call non-identifying information. And so they sent that to me and it was very generic. I'm sure many adoptees have gotten this, your maternal this and that, and they had this color hair and these color eyes and just very, very generic information. I really was kind of stuck. I was like, okay, what do I do? This was 2005 and I was stationed in Hawaii at the time. So I'm 3000 plus miles away from North Carolina and really can't do much. So I ended up going on the internet and I found like an adoptee registry. I, I can't remember the exact name of the website, but it was like adoptee registry. And I put in uh, my birth date, the state and the county that I was born in. They gave me or one of the search angels provided me with my birth mother's name. 
it was like three days, maybe a week later, they provided me with my birth mother's name. So I had my birth mother's name. Uh, her first name is Judy. I had Judy's name as early as 2005, maybe 2006. But again, when you're 3,000 plus miles away and you're full time in the military, it's really a challenge to be able to do anything outside of that. I mean, you're especially something as detailed and, and takes time as something like this. Fast forward 10 years. So 2015, I'm about to be 45. I was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia at the time. And I said, you know, I'm one state away. I've got to try. I've got to try something. I've got to start doing something. And, and I found some articles on the internet about adoptees finding their birth families through Facebook. And I thought, wow, what an interesting concept. <laughs> I searched on Facebook for adoptees from North Carolina or something like that. And it, a, a Facebook page popped up. It was adult adoptees from North Carolina. I can't remember the exact name, but I know that that was part of what was in there. Same kind of thing. They asked for the birth date, the county that you were born in. Uh, and I think maybe one other piece of information. So I filled that out. 15 minutes later, maybe 20 minutes later, I get an instant message on Facebook. Here's your birth mother's name. And it was the same name that I had. The same name. In, wow. The same name <laughs> that I had back in 2005. So I'm like, well, this is. This is it. it. it has, yeah. This is it, right? <laughs> well, then another 15, 20 minutes go by and I get another instant message from Facebook. It had my birth mom's wedding picture uh, announcement in the newspaper from 1972. I looked at it and I'm like, yeah. And I showed it to my wife and she's like, yeah, there's some definite similarities there. You got this and nose and this and that. And I said, so that no. was the first time you had seen a picture of her, right? Yes, that is wow. correct. That is the first what, what, time I had seen a picture of her. What did you feel in that moment? It was kind of, it was, I guess, excitement, but it was also scary. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I have to go back a little bit. The thing that sparked this whole, like, I have to get serious about finding my birth family was when my son was born. He was born in, I'm sorry, I'm going to get emotional when I talk about him. He Take your time. In, uh, yeah. He was born in March of 2008. When I held him for the first time, I looked at my wife and I said, this is the, I said, do you realize that this is the first time in my life that I am looking someone face to face that I share blood with? Mm -hmm. Because up until that point, I had not met anybody that I had shared blood relation with. Right. You're making me emotional because I know that feeling when my, my son was born in 90. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my son's now 15 and he's in doing great. He's in uh, high school and everything. But yeah, that was really the moment that I, and I looked at my wife and said, I, I have to do something about finding my birth family because right. I need to find stuff out for yeah. not only me but for my son because right. he's going to have questions yeah so 
anyway, again, you know, being in the military and you're moving every three years, it makes it difficult. So it took another six years, seven years from 2008 until 2015 for me to start really getting the, getting the wheels moving in the right direction. I saw that picture from my mom's wedding announcement. And then fast forward another like maybe 20 minutes and this same person uh, instant messaged me on Facebook and said, here is a link to your maternal aunt's Facebook page. And so I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So I click on it and her Facebook page was pretty open. She had an email address on the Facebook page. You know, I said, wow. Okay. So that night I'm talking to my wife and I said, you know, I, I think that this might be the first step. I'm going to reach out to her. And, you know, of course we had a long discussion about the pros and cons and everything else. And so finally I typed up this, I think it was probably three short paragraph email and I still have the email. I saved it. <laughs> I still have it from 2015. Uh, it was like, you know, I introduced myself and I said, first of all, I am not stalker. I'm not this, I'm not that. This is, you know, I have information that leads me to believe that your sister could possibly be my birth mother and I'm searching for her. I was adopted, so on and so on and so on. I must have read that email probably, I don't know, 25, 30 times. (laughs) I know that feeling, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so I looked at my wife and I finally said, I said, you know, I said, once I hit send on this, there's no turning back. I said, we're on this ride and wherever it goes, it goes. And, you know, we're, we're off and running. And she said, okay, I'm, I'm with you. And so I hit send. And of course, you know, now I'm nervous and I'm worried and this and that. And it probably was maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I get an email from my maternal aunt and it was really short. And she said, you know, it's nice to meet you. She said, I'm not really sure because I would, I'm Judy's younger sister, but I do remember her going away for a while. And she said, give me a few days. I will reach out to some family friends and I will find out whatever information I can. And probably a week went by. She called me because I gave her my phone number. She called me and we had a wonderful conversation for maybe a half hour. She gave me information, kind of little bits and pieces here and there, what she was able to find out. And she said, yes, it does sound like Judy is your mom. But the one piece of information that I did find out from her that was a little bit on the sad side was that she told me that my mom had had a massive stroke in 2011 or 2012 and was in a nursing home for lack of a better word, she's paralyzed, you know, has struggles to communicate, but she said, yep, she's still alive. Mm. Okay. Well, that's, that's what I want that there's, you know, that's what I need to know. I guess a couple of days went by my maternal aunt had mentioned that she said, you know, I looked at your Facebook page and you bear a very, very striking resemblance to Judy's daughter, Tracy. And I said to my wife, I said, it sounds like I've got a sister, which, you know, as adoptees, we always wonder, do I have any siblings? Do I have a brother or sister out there? 
Especially if you were so, an only child. Were you an only child? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, I'm uh, sorry. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. My, my adopted parents didn't have any other kids. I was it. So to find out that I had a sister out there was exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, then a couple of days later, my maternal aunt had said, let me, you know, I want to break the news to Tracy that, you know, about you. I, you know, I said, okay, of course I understand. So maybe it was a couple of days later, I get a Facebook message from my sister and she introduces herself and she just says, I am in total shock right now because I had no idea that, you know, my mom had another child. I didn't know anything about you. I said, well, I'm sorry, you know, this and this and that. She says, you don't need to apologize. She says, I'm just in shock that this happened. And you know, she was more upset with her grandparents. In other words, you know, my mom's parents for putting our mom through what she had to go through right. at such a young age. And and, and she to, was really your your biological mother was holding this secret for like forty five years, right? Exactly. Yeah. No one knew. There were only a handful of people that knew outside of her, but none of her current husband didn't know. My maternal aunt did not know, of course. She had to keep that in with her for 45 years. So I'll fast forward to Father's Day weekend of 2016. I had to go to a, on a work trip to Spartanburg, South Carolina. And it just so happened, this is how I know God had his plan. It just so happened that my maternal aunt lives in Spartanburg. <laughs> so I said, wow. well, I I told my maternal aunt, I said, you know, I'm going to be in Spartanburg for this festival. And she's like, well, we need to meet you. I said, okay, looking forward to it. So I'm nervous and and everything else. But they, her and her husband, they opened their arms to me. They welcomed me. It was like 45 years didn't exist. Like I was always a part of that family. That's Mm -hmm. how they made me feel. And they had me, they had me over for a Father's Day brunch with more of, um, it was her husband's family that was there. But all of them welcomed me and they were very, very warm and, and just, you know, so nice to meet you. And we're glad that you, my maternal aunt always says, you know, I'm so glad you didn't give up. That's what she always tells me. She says, I'm so glad you never gave up. I met my maternal aunt, and then that same time, my my sister, she lives in South Carolina as well, about three hours away. So I had a couple extra days off, so I decided to go meet her. When I met her and her family, they were the same way, very welcoming, very glad you didn't give up, you know, all of those things. I can say this, when my sister and I stand next to each other, we look like twins. Mm. We're very, I mean, (laughs) and I showed the picture, there's a picture that I have of the very first time that my sister and I met in 2016. And when I showed it to my wife, my wife immediately said, you know, she's like, you guys don't need a DNA test. There's no doubt that that you're related. Right. How far apart are you in age? Well, I was born in August of 1970. She was born January of 72. Wow. So we're a little less than two years apart. Right. I I love this part of your your story. 
you know, so meeting the sister. It, yeah. And then the South Carolina synchronicity on, oh, on was, Father's Day. Yeah, on Father's <laughs> Day. Yeah. And, you know, my my adopted dad and my adopted mother, they're both buried in North Carolina. They're buried in uh, Hendersonville, North Carolina. So that Father's Day was very emotional for me because that morning I had driven up to Hendersonville, North Carolina to, you know, to my father's cemetery to see him, you know, to, you know, to put flowers and everything. I did that. And then that afternoon I had the Father's Day lunch with my maternal aunt and her family. Right. So anyway, that was exciting. And, you know, all of that with meeting my sister, we both agreed, my sister and I both agreed to hold off on meeting my mom because we just didn't know how she was going to react, you know, and with her condition and everything else, we just weren't sure how she was going to react. We decided to wait. I had some struggles with that but at the same time i was like well you know you know best and you know you know what should be done and things like that so i said let's let's wait well then after mother's day of 2017 so i was like really struggling about this with mother's day and i want to see i know i need to meet my mom i need to meet my mom and i was praying about it so finally it was probably a week after mother's day and my sister texted me. She said, you know, I think it's time. You know, you need to meet her. And so immediately I'm like nervous. I'm excited. I'm also scared a little bit. Well, then we set up a date or set up a weekend that I would, you know, we would go down to North Carolina. And my wife and son came with me. I, I was the only one that went to the nursing home. I'm just going to go because we don't know how this is going to go. And they went off, you know, to do some shopping or whatever. And so my sister, her husband, and me, we went to the nursing home. My sister went in first. My sister and her husband went into my mom's room first. I was waiting out in the lobby, and I'm just, like, my heart is going ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. I'm just so nervous. My sister came out maybe five minutes, ten minutes later, and she's like, okay, come on in. So I'm like, okay. And so, like, I, you know, I walk in and I look at my mom and, you know, her eyes got really big and, mm. I, you know, I, I said hello and, and she's, you know, again, she struggles sometimes to talk and she says hi and my mom starts looking at me and she just says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she kept repeating this, I'm sorry. And I said, you don't need to apologize that's in the past. God brought us together and God's timing's always perfect. And this is what happened. And you're, you don't need to apologize for anything. Yeah. I want to, so, I want to go back just a sure. bit. I'm sorry. Sure. Tracy had prepared her for who you mm-hmm. were, right? Right. Okay. Right. Okay. And yeah, I was, ex- I was actually going to say that portion or should have, but she had already talked to my mom's husband, who, by the way, he is the salt <laughs> of the earth because that that man, he's with my mom every day. And when I say every day, I mean every day, 365 days a year. He gets to that nursing home at 730 or 745, right when the visiting hours, they start. 
and he's there all day until probably around six or six thirty when they give my mom medication to help her sleep. And then he goes home. He doesn't go anywhere else. He sits right by her bedside all day. Yeah, that's pretty special. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it when I think about it, it it actually makes me tear up. Just like that's the picture of dedication and love and and just he's committed tracy had told me that she went in there and she said to my mom she said you know mom do you remember back in that you had a child way back in 1970 and you got pregnant and you had a child and you had to give this child up for adoption and and then she said initially my mom was like nope nope and then this went on for a couple minutes and finally, Tracy said, I looked at her and I said, Mom, I know. I know. I know what happened and it's okay. And she said, you had a boy and his name was Patrick and he's here. He's been looking for you mm. for a long time and he wants to meet you. And then Tracy said, my mom took this deep breath and just went, yes, mm. I did. So that's when I came in and, and, you know, everybody's crying, everybody's emotional. It's that initial time I visited with my mom probably for about three hours. We were there. So when, when I was getting ready to leave, you know, I kissed her on the forehead and I said, you know, we'll, we'll be back to see you soon. She just looked at me and she, she said, and I was getting ready to head out of the room. So I said goodbye and I was getting ready. To, we were all getting ready to leave. And she, I heard her say, Patrick. And I turned around. I said, yeah. And she said, grandson. And I said, oh, you want to meet your grandson? And she says, uh-huh. Hmm. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to arrange a visit for us to come down again, and you can meet him. And you can meet my wife. And so probably about two, three months later, we had another visit. We went down. She met my, my son. And she actually keeps a picture. His school picture is up in her room on one of her boards she has a little cardboard board that she has a bunch of pictures on and and my son's picture is on there you know i and and that night i got home uh we we went back home you know got back and i talked to my sister i think it was either that night or the next day and she said you know i talked to my dad and he said that he he said that mom was just she would go from one minute she was crying to the next minute she's laughing she's happy and i talked to her husband many times about that day and he had said he goes you know he said quite often before you came in or you met you found her he said often Judy would just be staring off into the distance, just with this far off look in her eyes. And he said, I would look at her and go, Judy, what are you thinking about? And he said that Judy would look back at him and say nothing. He said, I'm convinced she was thinking about you. Mm. Even though she didn't know whether she had a boy or a girl, he said, I am convinced that she was thinking about you, the child that she had to give up for adoption so many years ago. Now, like I talk to my mom every day or every other day, it's usually for only about 10 to 15 minutes, just kind of, you know, brief things or whatever. But at the end of the phone call, she always says, I love you. And then I say, I love you too, mom. 
But one other piece that I got to say before I finish up this whole story is that, so I saw my mom, first met her in May or is it June? I think it was, I think it was June, June of 2017. Fast forward to August of 2017, August 10th, my birthday. I didn't expect this, but my phone rang in the morning and it was my mom. And the very first words out of her mouth were happy birthday. I just started bawling. It was like the best way to finish out all of this, to put the cap on everything. Here's my birth mom. And I told her, I said, you know, I've been waiting 45 years to hear you say that to me. Mm. And, she, and she just said, you know, I know. We have a really good relationship now. And, and um, there's probably more questions that I have for her. You know, obviously, she really can't answer them very well because she, you know, struggles to communicate. In the end, none of it matters. It was God's plan to have all of this work together in this way. And it was filled with struggles. Don't get me wrong. And I say this to all the adoptees that I've spoken to about going into searching. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have times where you want to give up or you want to, you know, what is, why is it worth it? And it may not end up very good. And, and I've met adoptees that their reunions have turned out bad. So I know that I am very, very fortunate that my reunion has been nothing but positive. Some challenges along the way. Overall, it has been incredibly positive. Yeah, you've, you've been very fortunate. And, and a few things that stand out to me is there are a lot of things that happened that I think everybody really stepped up to the plate. And, and when you decided that you would meet your birth mother alone, and when Tracy went in with her husband to talk to you, your mom, the tone, I'm sure, the words she used, because this is a secret mm-hmm. that your yeah. birth mom had been keeping a very long time and she could have easily denied it. And yep. so I think everybody's part, yeah, was really what made it unfold the way it did. And so I just think Tracy, I think your birth mom, I think like everybody concerned, your maternal side that greeted you so lovingly on Father's Day. Like everybody had this, I think, real good energy to just let go of shame and and not let you coming back into the picture Mm -hmm. be a problem. Yes, I would completely agree. Thousand percent, I would agree. That's beautiful. And you're right. Yeah, that doesn't happen for everybody. And Sometimes we don't even know why. We don't know what's really behind the secondary rejection and and people, right. other people not being on board, extended family members. It's probably as many reasons as it is the people involved. But For sure. certainly I can appreciate that part of your story. And, and they're just some really loving people. Yes. I mean, you talk about, they're, they're. yeah, hurt your birth mother's husband being there every day from morning till evening like yeah that's very special and and your wife being supportive like they're just a lot of people in your life in in you all in each other's lives that are, are are just being i would say very good people absolutely i i couldn't agree more perfectly said well i uh want to honor your time and I 
do want to ask you what have been the challenges, if any, mm-hmm. about being connected to the adoption community as well as what mm-hmm. has been meaningful. I would say that the biggest challenge is finding my identity. That was probably for me the biggest thing, like who am I, where did I come from, those kinds of things that I think pretty much all adoptees we struggle with. You know, where did I come from? Who am I? What was my birth family like? Who do I look like? All those questions that for people that aren't adopted, you know, I've said to my wife many times, like, you know, you know, you look at your parents and you know, they're your parents. You know, you never doubted that. I didn't have that growing up. You know, I looked at my adopted mother and I'm like, well, I know she's not my birth mother. You know, even though she, as I said, she took care of me. She loved me. She cared for me. You know, there was that distance. I would say the positives and the things that I have really enjoyed and and grown up and and learned from are just even the struggles, the wanting to give up at certain times, because I did want to give up. There were times where I felt like this is just really, it's too hard. It's too much. I don't really feel this. I, I don't have the strength to do this. What if I get rejected? All those things. But in the end, I really believe that God put this story together. God put my journey together and and really he knew what the outcome was going to be. And I trusted, you know, I trusted that. And, and that's what I that's what gave me hope was that, OK, I know no matter what happens, you know, God's still in control. God's still at the center of my life. And I'm going to keep that and I'm going to hold on to that. That would be how I would answer that question. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. And, and I know that you are not in contact or connected to your birth father, but for the listeners, do you plan on doing DNA at some point? I think so. You know, I, I don't know whether or not, you know, now or a week or six months or whatever, but we'll see where that goes. And, you know, if I feel like that's something I'd like to do, then, you know, there were a variety of reasons that I started this whole journey. And one of them was health. You know, obviously that's something that all adoptees, I think at some point they wonder, you know, what kind of health issues are in my family? What runs in my family? Part of that reason that I started this journey was to find out some information, some health information. So, yeah, that's still a question. What about my birth father's side? So, yeah, I, I, you know, very well at some point may do that. Because that hasn't come up between you and your birth mom, right? No. And and again, we've never talked about it. Something that I'm not really sure about. You know, I've gotten some indications from my maternal aunt and my sister, but we're not 100 percent sure, you know, because of the, you know, my mom's current situation. Right. And I would handle it like you are the same way. Well, I'm just so glad we had this conversation. I was so happy that you reached out to me and, and that we could connect. And I really enjoyed the episode you did with Heidi Marble on Pulled by the Roots. It was Mm. just really good to know that adoptees are doing the emotional labor when they can when they so yeah. choose, uh, in the hopes of, of helping another adoptee or member of the constellation. And certainly, right. I always say storytelling is healing for the listener. 
and the storyteller. So I thank you. That's a Mary Herbert quote. Everybody's heard me say many, many times. And is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? To kind of tag on to what you were just saying, if I could say anything to the other adoptees out there that are either thinking about researching or trying to find their birth family, I would just say, you know, just start with one little step, stay positive, you know, and the other thing is, you know, like in my case, a big thing for me is original birth certificates. Uh, I get very emotional when I talk about those because of, you know, as I said earlier at the very beginning of the roadblocks that I ran into with, you know, North Carolina. So, you know, I've spoken to many state legislators and state representatives in North Carolina. I don't know if that's ever going to get any traction. Uh, There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of traction in that for various reasons. So what I've done is I've gotten involved in other states. I got involved in a movement for original birth certificate access in Connecticut and in Maryland and in one other state. I'm not really sure. I can't remember now. But getting involved in that and actually with the one I submitted my story for Connecticut and that was read at the Connecticut State Legislature. My story was read, part of it, was read at the Connecticut State Legislature, and that bill got passed. And now in the state of Connecticut, they have access, full access for adult adoptees to get their original birth certificates. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah, you can can impact in other states. Yeah, Yeah, you can impact in many, many ways. And And then the other thing, the last thing I'll say is, and I say this again to other adoptees, is that don't be afraid to get help, uh, professional help, because I did. I went to counseling. I went through therapy for several years just to talk about the adoption issues, to talk about some of the fears that I had and struggles that I had growing up and how to process all of that and, and go through a healing journey to really allow myself to heal from hurts in the past, because I think we all have that, even non-adoptees, everybody has hurts from our past. So I would just encourage those that are out there that are really in that situation where they're struggling with, you know, all of these things in in the adoption community is that don't be afraid to go out and, and seek help. It can't do anything but help. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's been wonderful. Yes, and I really do appreciate uh, what you do and the efforts that you make on, on behalf of adoptees. And it was my pleasure, and I really, really thank you for your time. When we wrapped up this recording and I spoke off air with Patrick, he told me that his therapist once told him that he was perfectly suited for brokenness because of all the losses he had suffered over the course of his life. I believe that might apply to any one of us in adoptee land. Like Patrick, we as adoptees don't have to play the victim. Instead, we can seek out a number of tools like connection with other members of our community. We can find professional therapy or any number of therapeutic modalities to lean into healing from any brokenness. I like how Patrick managed the reunion with his biological mother through his biological sister's guidance. Knowing how sensitive the situation was, 
based on his birth mother's health and her 45-year-old secret of relinquishing a child to adoption. Everyone seemed to show compassion for each other. Patrick's perspective of the importance of searching for birth family upon the birth of his son resonates with me. When the first biological connection is made with another person, we share DNA. It can be a quite emotional experience. Last but certainly not least, I love how Patrick is helping adoptees in other states to change their adoption practices. How generous is that? I was reminded of how that's so possible for all of us to get involved in helping one another. It was Sarah Feigenholtz, currently an Illinois senator, that said it best in 2011. Laws should fit people in their real lives. Thank you, Patrick, for having a conversation with me. I appreciate your eagerness to extend the invitation for others like me to get to know you. All of our stories mean a great deal to us and to many others. As adoptees come to the forefront and give of ourselves through storytelling for the listener, we as a storyteller potentially receive a blessing too. I want to thank every guest for saying yes to a conversation with me, every participant, especially in the early days, and the audience for listening to some of the most extraordinary people I've had the pleasure of meeting. This endeavor has positively exceeded my every expectation, and it wouldn't have been possible without your gifts and time. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit jenniferdianegoston.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a monthly donation of at least $5 or a one-time amount that works for you to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adoptee land. Thank you for being here.